Just great to see everybody talking, but uh, I want you to know that if we get out just a little bit after the quarter of the hour, you're to blame because you talk so long, okay? (laughs) Stories told of a, a little girl who had been to church And the lesson that day was on the second coming, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as they were going out of church, she turned to her mother and she said, Mommy, do you believe in the second coming? And uh, the mother said, Well, yes, I do. And she said, Well, do you believe that Jesus could come back next month? And uh, her mother said, Well, yes, I do. And she said, well, what about next week? And she said, well, yes, I think he could come next week. He said, well, she said, well, what about tomorrow? Could he come tomorrow? She, she said, yes, I believe that he could come tomorrow. Well, could he come in the next hour? And the mother said, well, yes, I think he could come in the next hour. And she said, paused for a moment. She said, well, Mommy, would you please comb my hair? And I think that's a wonderful picture of what it means to be ready for our Lord's return when He comes, to be prepared. And so, I want to ask you this morning, is your hair combed? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you looking for the Lord's return to this planet? It is our great hope Things can be pretty bad, and they can look pretty sad this morning as we look around us, and we've been praying for our country today. And yes, things are in a crisis, and things are chaotic, and you wonder if there is any hope. And yes, there is a great hope. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. It's our blessed hope. Now, we saw last week as we worked our way through the third and the fourth chapter, the the last part of the fourth chapter here in 1 Thessalonians, that if we're truly prepared, if our hair is combed, then we will continue laboring. We will continue living. We will continue keeping on loving as we keep on looking for His return. In other words, the Lord wants us to stay at it. He doesn't want us to drop out of life. And that's very important as we come to this passage, this paragraph now that Tom read for us this morning, because there were many people in the church at Thessalonica who were dropping out of everyday, work-a-day life. They believed that the Lord was coming soon, that His return was imminent, and every generation which has ever lived since the first century church has lived expectantly thinking that the Lord might be back in our generation, that it could occur at any time. That's called the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. An ever-present possibility that the Lord could be here any day. You know that there are over 300 references to the return of Christ in the New Testament, and there are over 1,000 800 references to the return of the Lord in the Old Testament. It's a common theme. If you take the New Testament alone, one verse out of every 30 talks about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this planet. 
It's a very important doctrine in the Bible. Charles Wesley wrote over 7,000 hymns during his lifetime, and over 5,000 of those 7,000 hymns talk about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming is mentioned in 5,000 of his hymns. And so these Thessalonican believers were excitedly looking for the Lord's return. And yet some of them were so convinced that he'd be there any day that they were becoming slovenly. They were dropping out of everyday life. And then there were many others that were developing doubts or questions about his return because, as you remember, after Paul planted this church, they had fallen into persecution. They were suffering affliction, adversity for their faith. And so day after day, they waited and they waited, and the days turned to weeks, and the weeks turned to months, and the Lord wasn't back yet. And so they began to wonder. They began to develop questions. And so Paul writes this passage this morning to answer one of those questions. We have three of those questions on the screen this morning for you to consider, questions that these believers were asking, things like, Well, some of my friends have died now, and the Lord isn't back. So what's going to happen to them? Paul had taught them some things about the second coming, the return of Christ, when he was there. And you can read about his ministry there in in Acts chapter 17. But they hadn't learned everything, and so they didn't know what was going to happen to their friends. Some of them had already died, and he, he had not returned. And then others, if you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, were wondering if maybe the day of the Lord had come, if the coming of Christ had, had happened, and if maybe they had been left behind. You remember David Bubb sharing last week when he was younger. That was one of the things, and he, he shared that Larry Norman song with us, and uh, I wish we'd all been ready. Well, these believers, some of them were wondering, well, has his coming already happened, and then what's happened to us? What's going on here? And then that led to even more questions about, well, what are some of the details in the timeline of his return? And so Paul is going to answer that first question in this paragraph, which Tom just read for us. Look at verse 13 again. And I want you to notice that the problem or the problem that was going on there in the church in Thessalonica. Paul says very clearly here, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to to be fully informed. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be without knowledge about the Lord's return, about those who have fallen asleep that you're worried about. And that that, that image there in verse 13 of to fall asleep is just an image which is used in the New Testament to describe those who have died. And it's actually repeated three times, if you notice in the next three verses, in verses 13, 14, and 15. Those who have fallen asleep are those who have already died. We don't want you to grieve or to be sorrowful or distressed like the rest of the people who don't have hope. 
And so this is what these believers were struggling with. What was God doing? Would they forget about these loved ones, these family friends that had gone on? Uh, Would they miss out when the Lord came back? And so they had all of these questions. They were struggling. And they were struggling because when the Lord comes back, it's going to be a party to beat all parties. Have you ever been to a birthday party that you never forgot? Ever been to a party that was just so great, you've just kind of carried it with you all of your life? You can probably think about one of those parties somewhere along the way. But the return of our Lord is going to be something like we've never experienced before. It's going to be a greater event than any Olympic ceremony that has ever been celebrated. The baseball playoffs are going on right now. And my Red Sox are getting ready to go down in flames tonight, I'm afraid. Cleveland may beat them. They may not make it to the series this year. But the Lord's return is going to be a greater event than any World Series that's ever taken place or any Super Bowl championship that's ever been played. And so it's going to be the party of all parties. And and these believers didn't want their friends to miss out. And so they were wondering what was going on. You know, in just a few weeks, I mentioned that we're going to have this Club Ted event where many of us are going to gather and we're going to walk with Ted and Joanne. And I think we've got about 50 people or more signed up from our church. And it's going to be a great event. But there's going to be a day when we have a reunion and a party And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm looking out here at many of you who I know you you do, we're going to be together for a reunion that will be at every reunion and gathering of any other gathering in all of history, the return of our Lord. And so these believers didn't want their loved ones to miss out, and they were struggling with this. And so Paul writes to inform them and to encourage them. He didn't want them to be ignorant, and he didn't want them to grieve as those that had no hope. Look at verse 13 again. That was his purpose for writing to address this problem. If you're following along now in your outline or in your notes, we're on page 2. Now look at verse 14. Paul's purpose was very simple as he wrote this. He was informing them and encouraging them. And he says, we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. Look at verse 14. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There's this image again of those who've fallen asleep or those who've already died. Now, notice the basis of his informative encouragement of these Christians and you and me there in verse 14. What is it? What's the basis, the foundation of our hope that the Lord's going to come back? Well, it's the Lord's resurrection. He says here very clearly in verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so, because we believe that, we believe that God will bring Jesus and with him those who have fallen asleep in him, that he is returning. You see, these people were struggling 
their hearts are breaking. They've lost some people that they really loved, and they think they're going to be cheated. They're wondering about all of the details here. And so he reminds them of the Lord's resurrection. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're following along in your notes now, we're at the bottom of page 2. And there Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Jesus Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. But Christ has been raised. He's been raised from the dead. Can we just say that together? But Christ has been raised. Christ has been raised. And if you believe that Christ has been raised, then you can believe this morning in faith that Jesus Christ will return again. And he will be bringing those with him that already preceded us in the faith. And Jesus is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Many years ago, there was a little article in the Daily Bread. I know that many of us read that devotionally. And I don't remember who wrote it, but they were telling the story of a man called No Hope Carter. And this particular person had visited a psychiatric hospital someplace in our nation, and they were touring this hospital, and this gentleman ran into a guy who was absolutely despairing of his life. He'd been informed that he was afflicted with venereal disease, and back in those days there was no treatment, and there was no way that he was going to recover. It was going to take him home in death. It would, it would do him in, in other words. And so this gentleman was touring this psychiatric hospital, and he walked up to this glass window, and he looked through, and here was this man just about two weeks before his death. And all he could do was repeat the words, no hope, no hope, no hope. He had no hope. He was despairing of life. And there are a lot of people like No Hope Carter they just, they, they have no hope today. They don't believe in anything. They believe that this is all there is, that it will end with this life. But we know differently. We have every hope. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And so Paul writes, we don't want you to despair of hope. Like those who have no hope, you have every reason to hope. And so he gives them accurate information and adequate exhortation. He encourages them to keep on living and laboring because Jesus is coming back and he'll bring their loved ones with them. Now, notice, please, God's plan. It's one thing to say that Jesus is coming back, but it's another thing to get into the details. What's it going to look like? Well, Paul doesn't tell us everything in this passage. There's lots of passages around the New Testament that talk about his return. But he does get into some details here. So let's look at what God's plan is, what we can say with confidence, with certainty, and with clarity is going to happen. Look at verses 15 through 17 again. Paul says, Tom read it for us just a couple of minutes ago, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, 
who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will, be, will rise first. And after that, that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The first thing I want you to notice that we can say with confidence is that the Lord is coming in person. And I know this because look at the beginning of this past, these verses I just read. Look at verse 15. This is the Lord's own word. This isn't just my opinion. I'm not just standing up here as a human pastor this morning giving you my opinion. This is the Lord's own word. Look at the beginning of, of, of that passage again, verse 15. Now, we don't know whether this word that Paul received was a word of direct revelation. Did he get this as a direct revelation from, from the Lord himself? Or is this a, a teaching of Jesus that didn't make it into the New Testament? Or maybe this is rooted in Matthew chapter 24. Because the language of this passage is very similar to Matthew chapter 24. If you set this passage parallel to that passage and look at the description, it's very much like that verse of, of those, that, those, those uh, verses of Scripture in that passage. And so this is the Lord's own word. It very likely could have come from Matthew 24. And incidentally, Doug Berg was kind enough to let me copy off some of his Bible study notes. And they're out there on the, the table in the narthex this morning. And I would encourage you to step out and pick those notes up because he's done a parallel study of this passage with Matthew 24 and 1 Corinthians 15. And, and it's great Bible study. Pick it up. And I've got some other handouts out there as well. And I hope you'll, you'll pick up all of that if you're interested in the details of the Lord's return. But this is the Lord's blueprint. This isn't mine. And he tells us very clearly that the Lord is coming in person. This will be the Lord himself in person. Now, this is significant because there's a lot of great holy moments in the Bible. Think about it. Think about Abraham in the Old Testament. And think of the angels that visited him in Genesis 17. Or think of that, that holy moment. Think of Moses before the burning bush there in Exodus chapter 3. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Or think about Jesus' first coming when he was born as a baby. And we're celebrating uh, Julian Nates. They're, 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 I got it reversed yesterday. Is it Journey Brook or Brook Journey? Journey Brook. We're celebrating Journey Brook's, you know, birthday or a couple of days ago she was born. Think of what it was like when Jesus was born and the angels were there singing. Can you imagine how incredible that must have been? But this is Jesus coming in person on the clouds. He's coming in person. It'll be the Lord himself. Several years ago when I was at, 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 at going to see a Texas A&M 
university football game. And incidentally, they won last night. For those of you who like to follow things that happen in the state of Texas, it's one of the reasons I've got a smile on my face this morning. But we were there for a football game, and we went to this dinner before the game, and George Bush was there, President George Bush. His presidential library is is built just off the campus, George Bush Sr. And so there he was at this dinner. And I actually had the the opportunity to go up and meet him in person, the President of the United States. Now, that's significant, but this is even better. This is the Lord of the universe, the creator of this planet, coming back again in person. And notice, please, he's not only coming in person. Notice, please, that he's coming in triumph. We can say that with confidence. Look at verse 16 again. He's coming, the Bible tells us, with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Now, I want to talk about those three things for just a moment. With a loud command, with a loud shout, with a, the, the, with a the, the voice of the command of a military officer. And I think of Jesus now standing before the tomb of Lazarus when he said, Lazarus, come forth. He's coming with a loud shout, with a loud command. Many years ago, there was a missionary by the name of Fisher, I believe was his last name, and he ministered in Western Africa. And he was teaching on the Lord's return, and he was going through this passage at a Bible college. And one of the students raised their hands and said, what will he shout when he comes? What will he say when he shouts? And this Bible professor was stumped. He didn't have an answer. We don't know really for sure what he's going to shout. But he thought about the verse, and then he thought about the suffering. He thought about this this father that he knew that had been arrested and taken and persecuted and he'd lost two of his own children from from his family and he thought about the beggars that he passed every day and he thought about all the sin and the brokenness and you think of our country this morning and what's going on and it just it breaks I can't speak for you but it breaks my heart it's just, it's just, ah, what do you say? What do you say about what's going on? And you look around and what do you say? And so what is Jesus going to say when he shouts? And this Bible professor thought about it for a while. He thought about it. And the student wouldn't let him not answer it, so he had to give an answer, and he said, I'll tell you what I think he's going to say. I know what he's going to shout. When he's coming, he's going to shout, enough, 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 enough suffering, enough brokenness, enough of sin, enough, enough, enough. When Jesus comes again, it will be enough. He will end it. He will end it. It will be over. 
And we're going to live in a millennium that beats the world that we're living in now that you can't imagine with our Lord Jesus Christ when he sets foot on this planet. And notice the voice of the archangel, a loud command, and the voice of the archangel. Who's the archangel? I think it's Michael. You know, there's only two archangels mentioned in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. And they always accompanied the revelation when the Lord was going to reveal something about himself. And what Gabriel is mentioned, but only Michael is mentioned by name in Jude 9. And if you read the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 7, it's Michael who's doing battle with Satan. He's the protector, the deliverer of God's people. If you read Daniel 10, 13, and 21, and Daniel 12, 1, Michael is mentioned. I think Michael is the archangel that's mentioned here, one of only two angels mentioned in the Bible. And notice that he's coming with the trumpet of God. And this is the same word used in Matthew 24, verse 31. And it's the same trumpet, I believe, that's probably mentioned in Revelation 11, chapter 15. And it's the same trumpet, I think, that may be mentioned in Isaiah, chapter 27, verse 13. The trumpet of God, the same trumpet that will be played and that it's mentioned, I think, possibly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we read, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, in an atom, in the time that it takes to just split an atom at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It won't be the trumpet of Bob Mitchell. Is it a trumpet or a trombone you pray, play, Bob? It's a trumpet. And you know, you, you play it pretty good. We'd love to hear you play it on, at Christmas time. But this isn't going to be Bob Mitchell's trumpet. This is going to be the trumpet of God. He's coming in triumph. And we know with certainty he's coming to rescue us. Look at verses 16 and 17. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds and we will meet him in the air. He's coming to rescue us. Two very important words and to gather us to himself. Now notice that word to catch up. That's comes from a, a Greek word which means to snatch or to seize away, and the Latin word means to rapture. That's where we get this word to rapture, and it's a word that we've heard mentioned frequently in the 21st century when we read Hal Lindsey and, and we listen to Dr. David Miramiah and, and John MacArthur and many that talk about biblical prophecy. So it's a biblical word. It means to snatch up, to seize, and we're going to be caught up in the, in the air. This is the only place in the New Testament that this is used to describe the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our, our going to meet him here in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's a word that's actually used in Acts chapter 839. Remember when Philip 
went to preach to the eunuch, and he was caught up, he was snatched away. That's this Greek word. And it's a word which was used, uh, I believe, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the baby that's born in Revelation 12, verse 5. I think that little child mentioned there in that chapter is, is Jesus, and he's caught up to heaven. He's snatched up. But this is the only place it's used in the New Testament uh, associated with the Lord's coming. And it talks about being caught up in the clouds to meet him. And then this word to meet him is an interesting word. If you're following along in the notes, we're on page 5 now. We're working our way to the end. It's an interesting word. In secular circles, it was often used to describe people who would go out to meet a king or a dignitary who was coming into the city. And so a group would go out to to meet that king or that dignitary, and they would meet him, and then many times they would accompany him back into the city. They'd bring him back in as a time of welcome and celebration. It's also used of greeting and meeting wedding parties. And so this snatching up, this rapture of the church, there's some differences of opinion about it. There are many people who believe this rapture will take place before the tribulation, the tribulation period. And there are many in our church that would believe, believe that. There are others that are what people would call mid-tribulationalists, mid-tribbers. They believe, well, it might happen in the middle of the tribulation. There are others that believe it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. When I was in college, I was a, a big reader of Hal Lindsey, and I read a lot of Bible prophecy. But I'm going to be honest with you. In my own personal Bible study, I'm not convinced today that Christians may not go through tribulation before the Lord returns. And if you want to know why, you can pick up my handouts out there, and I've got a big, thick one for you. You can pick up Doug Berg's stuff, and if you read the language and you compare the passages, there are many sections of Scripture that talk about what appear to me the Lord's return and its common language, and it doesn't seem like it's two different returns, a rapture before the tribulation, but the Lord returning for His people, we're caught up with Him. And the one thing I know is we're not going to go through wrath. God's going to rescue us from wrath. We'll be spared from wrath. And so there's a lot of Bible study there. But I, I'm here to say this morning what we know with certainty, because our statement of faith here at First Baptist, if you read it, gives liberty for differences of opinion on the timing of, a, of our Lord's return. Could be before, could be in the middle, could be after. What do you think? I'll say this. As a pastor living right now, I almost feel like it's my duty, especially to say something to young people in case it doesn't happen the way we would prefer it to happen before the tribulation and you're here through tribulation, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived because Jesus Christ is coming again, whether you go through tribulation or not. It's a reality, and I don't want anybody to be deceived by thinking that 
Well, I was left behind. I'm going through tribulation. It must not be real. There are three certainties, three things we can say with confidence as we wrap this up this morning about this this coming of Christ. We're going to be raptured. Now, people have differences of opinion on whether it's pre, mid, post, or when. Marvin Rosenthal developed this pre-wrath rapture view. But we're going to be raptured. We're going to meet him in the air. And we know with certainty that we will not undergo God's wrath. And if you're reading page 5 now, we've given you all kinds of references there in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, which we're going to look at next week, make it very clear we're not going to go through wrath, even if we suffer some persecution or tribulation before we get there. We'll be spared that. And Christ coming for his people could occur, I believe, any time. Every generation of every believer that have ever lived have believed that he could come any time. And so I'm living in expectancy. I believe we're in the last days. And it's a little bit like this Bible. I've got my Bible up here on this, this, uh, this podium this morning or this pulpit. And it's, uh, it's tipping over the edge right now, isn't it? It's tipping. And you know what? This thing could fall over soon. It could fall over. It could fall over. We need to be living in expectancy. We're living in the last days. And then he's coming to reunite us. Notice we're going to be together, and we've talked about that. It's going to be a reunion to beat all reunions. And so what's Paul's prescription here in verse 18? He writes to encourage us. You know, we've we've prayed and we've talked this morning, and I just got to admit, you know, I think we've got another presidential debate tonight. I got to admit, I I get kind of discouraged. I'm human. I get discouraged looking around me right now. And there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. There's a lot of problems in this world. There's a lot of problems in this nation. But when you think about what we've been talking about here today, notice what Paul says in verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is our blessed hope. And in the New American Standard Version, it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And you know what the word comfort means in Latin? It's made up of two words, come and fortis. Fortis is the word strength. It means to give strength. And we should be encouraging one another. We should be comforting one another. We should be giving one another strength as we remind one another of the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our great hope. Stories told, and I'll close with this, of a young man, a groom, who was blinded in an accident at the age of 10. He met a young lady. They fell in love. He loved her touch. He loved her voice. 
but he'd never been able to actually see her with his very own eyes. They developed a new procedure. This is in England where this story took place. True story as far as I know. The physicians did a three-step procedure on his eyes. Those of you who have had eye surgery can identify with this. They had him wrapped in bandages on the day of his wedding, and he stood up the front of the sanctuary. We just celebrated a wedding here last weekend. He stood up at the front of the sanctuary, his eyes still wrapped in bandages, never having looked at his bride, and the wedding music began to play. And she began to come down the aisle, and they took off the bandages. And everybody wondered in the audience, would he be able to see her or not? Fluttered his eyes. Things were a little fuzzy. And there she was. And he said, at last, at last. And I'm here to tell you, you may not be excited this morning, but I'm excited. Because I can't wait to that, for that day. If I'm here and he's coming... And he's coming with my mother, and he's coming with my grandmother, and he's coming with my aunt, and he's coming with people that you can name by name, and he's coming in the clouds, and there he is, and all of us will say, at last, at last, at last, what a day it's going to be, what a glorious moment we will celebrate. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we love you. We love you. I love you, Lord. And I look forward to your return. And I thank you for how you're coming for me. You're coming for your people. And we just love you and we celebrate it today. Help us now to encourage each other as we sing this final hymn. We ask, O Lord Jesus, now in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.